Thanks, Gail, for sharing uh, your story with us. Appreciate that. We'll be uh, continually hearing over the next uh, few weeks. Um, next week, we uh, usually on Communion Sunday, we don't hear testimonies. Um, <clears throat> but the week after is our membership Sunday, Mother's Day, May 8th, and then we'll continue to hear uh, testimonies as the, the weeks go on. One of the things that uh, my family my family likes to do, especially my kids, actually, not uh, Olivia, but um, one of the things that we like to do, they like to do, is they like to jump on my back and uh, pretend ever since uh, they saw the Polar Express, they've gotten into trains and stuff like that, and so um, they do this thing called the Appa Express. So Appa means daddy in Korean. And so they'll say, Dad, can we do the Appa Express? And so I'll say, okay. And so what it basically looks like is uh, Manny will jump on my back and then uh, Elijah and Elise will get jealous and they'll say, Daddy, me too. And so I'll hold Elijah and then Elise will come over and I'll hold the three of them on me. And then they'll say, all aboard the Appa Express. And then they'll say, go, Daddy, go. And so I'll start walking as uh, quickly as I can and get about 10 feet. And then I say, okay, first stop, everybody off. And they get off and, and they're like, no, nah, that was too short. That was too short. Can we do it again? And so, okay, all aboard the Appa Express. And they'll get back on me and... And then inevitably, because I'm not, I'm not the strongest guy, uh, <clears throat> I'll start dropping the kids slowly. And they'll say, oh, we're slipping, we're slipping. And I'm like, then you got to do something about it. Daddy can't do anything. And so Manny will adjust her grip. And usually it ends up with her, uh, with her hands around my throat. <laughs> and I'll say, oh, Manny, stop, stop, stop. And then quickly the train comes to a screeching halt. I drop all the kids and they're on the ground. And they're like, Daddy, what happened? What happened? I said, what happened is that you were choking me and I couldn't breathe. Manny, that's what happened. That's why everything fell apart and the train had to stop. Have you ever experienced the feeling of having somebody's hands around your neck? You ever feel like, you ever experienced that feeling of being choked and being strangled to the point where you can't breathe? You ever experienced that? Then you're understanding the biblical picture of worry. The biblical word for worry means that you are being strangled. You're being choked. And the very life that is in you is being sucked out of you. It's being choked out of you because of the stuff of life that's causing you to worry. What do you worry about? I'll tell you what I worry about. I worry, um, if I can be honest, this is maybe silly to you, but I worry that the Orioles are going to lose a game that I'm watching. I worry about that. On a more serious note, I worry about the future for our church, for our family, for our world. I worry about how my kids are going to turn out. I worry about who's going to be the next president of our country and how that's going to affect the way that we live and how that's going to affect our standing in the world and how that's going to affect our economy and all kinds of things. I, I worry about all these things. What do you worry about? You know, if we're honest, there's probably not a single person in here who doesn't worry about at least one thing. What would it take for you to not worry? Having a lot of money, would that cause you to stop worrying? Having a great family, would that keep you from worrying? Having a baller job, would that keep you from worrying? You guys know who George Clooney is? George Clooney, great actor, $180 million net worth, 
beautiful family, married kids. He uh, has everything that we think might cause a person to no longer need to worry. But this movie that he was in called Monuments Men came out. And after it came out, he said for 30 hours straight, he could not sleep. He was sick with worry that he had disappointed his fans and his director because of how bad the acting was in that movie. You could have everything and still give in to worry. Abraham Lincoln, famous worrier. John Mayer, Adele, Emma Stone, Johnny Depp. These guys all famously confessed to struggling with worry and with anxiety. We all worry. What do you worry about? What are you worrying about today? About your future, about your finances, about your family. We all worry about something in our lives. And the biblical teaching of all the books of Scripture is the same. It says, don't worry. It's a simple, simple teaching, but it's so hard to do. How do we break free from worry? How do we stop worrying when these are legitimate needs and concerns in our lives? Today, I want to, actually today and next week, I want to dive into the ancient well of wisdom, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to talk about at least what Jesus says about worry because it's so important here because if it is a universal struggle that so many of us deal with and wrestle with worry what does jesus the creator the maker what does our father in heaven have to say about worry and how we can overcome let's look at matthew chapter 6 uh, verses 25 to 33 there's no easy answers but i want to begin by knocking on the door of what jesus says and i think this will be instructive in fact, it's such a big deal, and again, like I said, no easy answers. I want to spend uh, the next two weeks, today and next week, talking about this today, a little bit about why we worry, because in dissecting why we worry, it help us to overcome, and then next week, some more practical things on how we can overcome. Matthew six twenty-five to 34, this is God's word. It says, uh, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothes? See, how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is God's word. Even reading this, does your soul not get encouraged? This is so good, so rich, so deep. I, I know you guys probably know people who worry. Do you know someone who's a worrying William or worrying Wanda. You know people like that? They're constantly worrying. My, 
Uh, my brother and I have a friend like that, uh, had a friend like that in Virginia. His name was Jin. Uh, we're talking about him recently over a, a, a meal in California. And my brother uh, calls him Rain Cloud. And I said, why do you call him Rain Cloud? Like, because wherever he goes, no matter how sunny the day is, no matter how beautiful the day is, he can always turn it into a rainy day. He can always turn it into a foggy, uh, bleak, and, and gloomy kind of a day. You know, people, there are people who can find the silver lining in every cloud, right? This guy finds a cloud in every silver lining. He's constantly bringing negativity into the situation. There are some people whose personality are just genetically predisposed to that. You know, people who are like that, right? But Jesus is saying, listen, worry is not simply about a personality, a disposition, a, a certain kind of temperament, because he begins by saying in verse 25, do not worry. In other words, this is a spiritual issue. Yeah, you can say that maybe your upbringing is kind of has a proclivity, uh, puts you in a proclivity towards worrying more than other people. But the clear teaching of Jesus, he says, do not worry. You don't have to worry. There is a way to overcome worry. So what does he say? Three things that I want to pull out at least today, and then we'll, we'll look at some other things for next week. But the first thing, we worry because we turn minor things into major things. Okay? We worry when we turn minor things into major things. He says, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, your body, what you will wear. Why does Jesus say, hey, in his, it, it, this is his major teaching on worry. He says, don't worry. Why does he say, hey, don't worry about food and drink and clothing? Why doesn't he talk about things that we might actually worry about? Things like, hey, uh, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, uh, how much money you will make, what you will do for a job, how your children will be raised. Whether your friends will, how come he doesn't talk about those things, major things? Why does he say, don't worry about food or drink or clothing? And aren't there bigger issues than that? In fact, there are. Jesus says, is not life, verse 25, more important than these things? In other words, he's saying there's bigger things in life to worry about. And if we can understand why he chose food and drink and clothing, we can understand a lot into the anatomy of worry. Why does he choose these things? Because food and drink and, wor- and, and clothing are necessary elements to life. If we don't have food and drink, we'll die a physical death. If we don't have clothing, we'll die a relational death. If these things are important. They're necessary, but they're basic elements to life they're not life itself they're simple 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 things but he's saying this is the nature of worry it takes these simple things and it makes them into monumental things how many of you were late to our worship service this morning raise your hand you know i'm just kidding don't have to raise but how many of you were late because you are looking through your closet thinking about what you're going to wear to church today. Oh my gosh, this doesn't fit anymore. What happened? I only gained two pounds, but this dress doesn't fit or this shirt doesn't fit or these pants don't fit anymore. We spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about things that Jesus says are really not that important. How many of you are going to get so stressed out today after worship service? Even now you're stressing out. Because you know your house church is going to go out to eat, 
and you know that it's going to take them an hour to decide where they're going to eat. And you're thinking about it right now. You think, well, I should, I should have these options in mind so that I can throw these options out there. Either Chipotle, if they like, if they're feeling a little bit of that Latin flavor. Maybe we can go to Korea House if they're really hungry. Maybe if they uh, want to go to McDonald's fast food, we can do that if they've got kids. And you're thinking about all these things. And then after service is done, after time of chit-chat and all that and fellowship and stuff, you're going to be like, all right, let's go out to eat. And then you're going to get so frustrated because that same group that says, yeah, let's go out to eat is going to say the same thing. And then they're going to move into the hallway. They're going to get stopped by somebody. Coming out of the bathroom, where are you guys going? We're going to eat. Where are you going? Oh, we're not sure. Hey, where did we decide? No, we didn't decide. And then you start talking about all these other things. Hey, I saw that picture you posted on Snapchat and, and all these things. And then, hey, hey, someone, and then someone's going to go, hey, hey, come on, let's go eat. Oh, that's right. We're, we're, and then you go to the end of the hallway. Oh, looks like it might rain outside. Let's, uh, let's kind of hang out out here. But we don't even know where we're going to eat anyway. And then you're like, okay, let's, let's decide, let's decide. Okay, let's just start walking. If we start walking, it'll come to our mind. And you go out to the parking lot and then you're still hanging out there and you still haven't figured out where you're going to eat. And some people are so frustrated about that that you just said, I'm going home. We worry about things like this all the day. He's saying these are basic building blocks of life. But we blow these things up into these massive major deals that cause us to worry. And that's the essence of worry. It's taking something really small and making it into something huge. See, Jesus, 2,000 years of ancient wisdom still proves true today. What do you post on social media about the outfit of the day? It's clothing and then what you ate and what you drank. Some people get so fr- <laughs> when we're doing the Daniel fast, we're fasting from social media. We had a cacao group and people were, were, were shooting each other pictures of the food that they were making. And there's a joke because we have one person in this cacao group who loves posting food pictures on their social media. And someone was messing around saying, You're, it takes everything within you to refrain from posting this picture on Instagram, doesn't it? Why? Food, drink clothes, just basic, simple necessities of life. But we want to put it out there for the whole world to see. He says, this is the nature of worry. You take a minor thing and then you keep on turning it over until that becomes a major thing and it affects everything about life, slowly choking the life out of you until you strangle and fall, come crashing down and bringing everybody down on top of it. Jesus is saying, we worry, but we take a minor thing and we make it into a major thing. A few months ago, a few months ago, we were uh, graciously given some money from Olivia's parents for a down payment on a car, and so we bought a new minivan. Um, unashamed to say that, we bought a new minivan. And so about a month into our ownership of the minivan, our kids were loving it. They loved the fact that they could open the door with a push of a button, they loved uh, the fact that it was big and it wasn't like junky and it had a door handle. Our other minivan didn't have a door handle. And so they're like, yeah, we can actually get out of the minivan and get into the minivan. They loved it. But within a month of our, our having it, uh, we had some folks come into town, a family of five, and they needed to borrow a car. And so we let them uh, borrow our minivan. They had it for about a week, a week and a half, uh, went to the beach, and they came back and they're dropping it off with us. And uh, it wasn't spick and span, obviously, you know, as, as a family of five, it's going to get messy. And we understood that. Uh, they'd gone to the beach, and when we got the car back, to me, it smelled like beach. You know, like uh, you've got towels that smell like uh, salt water, and there's sand on the floor and stuff like that. And so I said, okay, you know, that's no big deal. We can 
take care of that. But as time went on, the smell did not go away. We aired it out. We sprayed Febreze. We opened up the windows, left it open for like hours at a time. But it still smelled. In fact, it didn't just smell like the beach. As each day went on, it smelled worse and worse and worse. It was, there would be times where Manny would go into the car, like the third day into it, it was in August and it was hot, but Manny had her hoodie over her. I was like, what are you doing? Like, Daddy, if you need something, just tap me, but I can't breathe because it smells disgusting in here. And so she would have this over her and I felt so bad. Day one, it smelled like the beach. By day two, it smelled like, it wasn't too, too bad, but it smelled like wet cardboard. You ever have wet cardboard, that, that smell of wet cardboard? It's not pleasant. The third day started smelling like wet rags. It was nasty. By the fourth day, it smelled like there was rotting fish. So I was going to ask them, did you guys go fishing and maybe happen to leave some fish juice somewhere? It smelled like rotten fish. By the fifth day, it smelled like rotten eggs. By the sixth day, it smelled like somebody took liquid poop and just sprayed it all over the car. It was the most putrid and wretched and foul smell. I, I mean, and, and we canvassed the entire car. We had people looking for, uh, looking. It was like, you know, we had a whole exploration team trying to find what was going on, tried to isolate the smell by smelling every part of the car. And we realized that it, it felt like every seat and every floorboard smelled like this stuff. I was like, this is absolutely, utterly ridiculous. I remember when, when Sung went into, I said, hey, smell this. Try and figure out what this is. He got within like a foot of the car. He smelled it. And then I never seen him run so far so fast. And he was gagging and dry heaving. I was like, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just trying to get you to figure it out. People are telling us, look under the car. Maybe there's a carcass under there. Maybe there's roadkill. Maybe there's a dead rat inside of your hood. Everything that it took, it was so utterly foul. And so this is how we were living life for about a week seven to nine days. And one day, uh, Olivia called me. I was, I was in my office and she called and she's like, I found what it was. You're bracing for the worst, but she said, it, there was a fruit cup from Chick-fil-A that had spilled and got rotted. Tiny little fruit cup and it was nestled in underneath one of the seats next to some other you know, part of the carpet. And she said, I found it, I smelled it, and this is what it was. I was like, are you kidding me? That that tiny little fruit cup could ruin everything for such a big area of our car. And I thought, this is exactly what Jesus is saying happens with worry. A small thing, maybe even a good thing, when it begins to rot and infest the thing in which it inhabits, and it begins to take over, and it begins to ruin things for the entire, the entire car. This is what Jesus is saying happens when we worry. We take a small thing, and we turn it over and over and over and over until that becomes a major thing and everything gets affected by it. There are people like this. You talk to them, and, and, and maybe this is you. Okay? Two words that I think describe a person that worry and worry and worry and worry. Someone comes to you with an issue, 
And as they're explaining it to you, it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. The fix seems pretty simple. And you tell them, here's what you got to do. And you tell them to do it. It seems like open, shut. That's it. And their response is always, yeah, but. I can do that, but. Okay, if that happens, then here's the next thing to do. Yeah, but. And they're constantly saying, yeah, but this. Yeah, but this. And they're constantly playing out these scenarios, the worst case. And it makes you seem like they cannot live unless they're in a constant state of worry. To people like that, Jesus says, do not worry. Because worry happens when you turn a minor thing into a major thing. Maybe a lot of us are doing that. Second thing that we see. Okay, the second thing that we see, worry. Okay, we worry because we forget that we have a father. Okay, we forget that we have a father. Jesus says, in verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. When Jesus says the pagans run after these things, the pagans was a general term for Gentiles who don't know God. And listen, the reason we worry, right? the reason we worry is because we fail to realize that we have a father. It's understandable for people to run around thinking, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? If they don't have a father who loves them and cares for them. But you, child of God, he says, are different. Aren't you different? Don't you have a father who loves you, who cares for you? Don't you confess that? Don't you say that? If you don't understand that, then you will worry. The reason we worry is because we don't know that we have a father, that we don't trust that we have a father, or we have not fully surrendered to the fact that we have a father. If you knew that you had a father, if you trusted him, if you fully surrendered, then we wouldn't worry. I wouldn't worry. But why do we? Because we forget that we have a father who knows all the things that we need and he's able to take care of us and he wants to take care of us, that he's a good, good father. Jesus is saying, listen, it all boils down to this one simple, simple fact. There's a world of difference between one who has a father and one who doesn't. He's saying, in the kingdom, what do you have? Do you have a father or do you not? And do you believe that and do you trust that? This year's Oscar Awards, famous, will go down in, in history in infamy because of its lack of representation amongst the non-white crowd. I think it was 1991 or something like that. The first African-American was nominated for the award of Best Director, John Singleton. I've talked about this many times. One of the great and defining moments of the 90s, one of the first movies to raise awareness of the plight of young African-Americans and the gang warfare that was going on in the ghettos and in the hoods of the inner city. He was a director of a movie called Boys in the Hood, critical acclaim, great 
phenomenal. Not a clean movie, so if you watch it, don't watch it on Netflix or don't rent it or watch it on a movie channel. Watch it on a channel that shows commercials because then it will be edited. A lot of bad stuff in it, but the social, the way that it speaks into the social needs and just highlighting uh, an area in society that is often overlooked was powerful. Tells basically traces the story of a group of guys, their friends live across the street from each other, a young guy named Trey who lives in Compton with his dad, a dad named Furious, but he was a good man, took care of his son. Across the street was a guy named Doughboy and Ricky and their other friend Chris, causing trouble, always wanting Trey to cause trouble with them. Beginning of the movie, Trey goes to live with his dad. Dad says, I'm the king, Uh, you're a prince, but the prince still has to do work, still has to do chores. And he's complaining that the boys across the street don't have to do chores. Trey has to do chores, but his dad says, listen, everything you need, food, clothes, drink, I provide for you. Safety, all that stuff I'm going to give to you. And Trey complains. He says, why don't the other boys, why don't Doughboy and Ricky have to do any chores? And he says, he looks at his son. He says, look at me. He says, those boys across the street, they don't have a dad. You do. And you're going to see how they turn out. You watch. And throughout the movie, you see Trey, little boy growing up, goes fishing with his dad. Dad has heart-to-hearts with him. These other boys, same, the, the very next scene, getting arrested. Little kids getting arrested for stealing food, stealing, trying to take stuff. Fast forward into their lives. The, the kids across the street come out of jail. Trey's growing up. At the end of the movie, the end of the movie, Ricky across the street ends up getting shot by a gang member. Right? They're part of the Crips. There's another group called the Bloods. They get into a fight. They kill Ricky. Doughboy gets vengeance. He kills the other guy. There's a lot of violence. At the end of the movie, we don't see this, but at the end of the movie, Doughboy grown up talking to, uh, to Trey, who's grown up. And they're talking, and Doughboy's like, I know why you didn't come out and hunt after Ricky's killers with me. He says, who knows? They'll probably come and get me next. The movie ends. Two weeks later, Doughboy was shot down by these other gang members. Trey gets married to his sweetheart. They go off to Moorhead College, Morehouse College, where it is in Georgia, and they go off and they get their life together. And the powerful statement that John Singleton is making is, listen, either America doesn't know, doesn't show, or doesn't care about what goes on in the hood. There's a fatherless generation that's growing up. And there's a world of difference between the kids across the street who don't have a father and the kids who do. Saying the exact same thing that Jesus is saying. You don't live like those people. You don't go around worrying and begging and stealing food because you have a father who cares for you. Even if you don't have an earthly father, he's saying you've got a father in heaven who will provide everything that you need. Do you know this? Do you trust this? Do you surrender to him and to the promises that he's given to you? Jesus then gives an illustration, two of them for that matter. He says in verse, in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. And then he says in verse, uh, in verse uh, 28, and why do you worry? See how the lilies of the field grow. When he says look, when he says see, literally he says learn from. What is he saying? He says, learn from the birds. He says, learn from the birds. You don't see birds clocking in, clocking out of work. 
You don't see birds shopping at Publix. But everything that they have has been provided for. Every worm, every grain, every fruit has been provided for. Because God has created this world in such a way that everything that they need is available to them. And he says, if they are his creation, but you are his children, how much more so will your father take care of you? Oh, you of little faith. And then he says, but look, and then look, look at the flowers, look at the lilies. They're beautiful. They don't go to H&M. They don't go to Forever 21. They don't shop in millennia. But even Solomon in his most dapper of days was not dressed in the beauty of these flowers who are here today. They die and they're used to burn a fire tomorrow. If these things are temporal, but God clothes them, would he not do that for you? You who are eternal and dearly loved. By your father. But do you know that you've got a father who loves you, who cares for you? Jesus saying, if you know this, the more you know this, the more worry will begin to melt out of your bones and you begin to trust and live in the glorious freedom that he's promised to those who trust in him. Now, I'm not much of a bird watcher, but the other day I went out and I was watching some birds and they were chirping to each other. There was a sparrow and there was a robin and they were chirping to each other. And I was able to understand what they were saying to each other. It was great. I, I, I have a lot of different skills and talents. One of them is being able to understand and decipher the language of birds. They were talking to each other, and this is what they said. Said the robin to the sparrow. This one thing I would like to know. Why these ancient human beings worry and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin. My friend, then it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. You have a heavenly father. The birds of the air know that. And they're cared for. They look at us and they say, why do they worry so much? Do they not have a father in heaven? You do. I do. We do. The third thing that we see, third thing that we see, get out of worry the same way that you got into worry. Get out of worry the same way that you got into worry. The, the good news, here's the good news. If you know how to worry, if you know how to worry, then you know how to get out of worry, whether you know it or not. If worry is taking a minor thing and making it a major thing, how does that happen? Have you ever built a snowman before? Do you want to? Do you want to build a snowman? I'll tell you how. <laughs> I'll tell you how. You take a small little snowball and then you roll it on the ground until it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That becomes your base. You do the same thing. Little snowball, roll it, 
put it on top. You keep on doing that. That's how you make a snowman. And maybe some of you may not want to make a snowman. You've never made a snowman. But I'll tell you what we are making. A lot of us are very good at making worry men. Taking something small and rolling it 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 until it becomes a worry man that takes on a life of its own and begins to choke you to death. Have you been building a worry man? The good news, the same way that you built that, is the same way that you get out. Just a matter of what you're turning over in your head, what you're turning into that big creation. Jesus says, listen, there are certain promises that you've got to understand. Look at the birds of the air. Are you not much more valuable than they? If that's how God clothes the grass of the field here today and God tomorrow, gone tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you? Your heavenly father knows that you need them. What if instead of thinking about meditating upon all of these negative things that cause you to worry, you and I began to meditate upon the promises of God? Because the same word, the same way we worry The Bible has a word for that in a positive sense. It's called meditation. Biblical meditation isn't the same thing as a a meditation that you do in your yoga class or in your Eastern religions where it says empty your mind. Biblical meditation is the opposite. It says fill your mind. With what? With the truth and the promises of God's word. Usually the people who are filled with worry are the people whose minds are not filled with the promises of the word of God. Yet we know them, just like Jonah knows the word of God, but we don't trust it and surrender to it. We do that. What if instead of building worry men, we begin to build promise men inside of our lives? And instead of choking us, they gave us life. You meditate on the promises of God. Because the same way you got into a life of worry is the same way you're going to get out. You just got to change what you're rolling around in your head. Last week, a couple weeks ago, my family went to uh, uh, eat dinner with the Osaka House Church at uh, Charlie and Janet Lee's home. And as we're driving out, there's about a a 50-minute drive. And so in order to entertain our kids, Olivia was giving apples to uh, Elise, our daughter. She was sitting in her car seat, and and she was getting a little antsy. And she's like, you know, when are we going to get there? what she was probably thinking so mom gave her apples and she started eating the apples and she loved the apples and so she said in korean she said which means mother can i please have some more apples and so olivia said oh we don't have any more apples said elise opsa we don't have any more apples and so elise started worrying she's like oh my goodness Oh my goodness, is this the last time I'm ever going to eat apples? How am I going to make it to Aunt Janet and Uncle Charlie's house? I don't think I can. And she started fretting and she started worrying and she started crying because she's like, oh my gosh, this small minor thing became a major thing in her minor little brain. And so she's worried and she's stressed out about it. And then Olivia, in her motherly wisdom, 
said, Elise, don't worry. Don't worry. Imo chunde, which means auntie will give you some when we get to her house. Imo chunde. And all of a sudden, Elise stopped crying and she said, Imo chunde? The auntie's going to give me some? And then she stopped crying. And for the remainder of the 15 minutes, she's sitting in her car seat saying, Imo chunde. Imo chunde. Ichi, Imo chunde. Mami, Imo chunde. And she was able to make it all the way home. Why? Because she took the promise of her mother and she believed it. She knew it. She trusted it. She surrendered to it and said, I don't have to worry anymore because mom said, auntie will give it to me. And I trust her that she's going to pull through for me. What if you and I began meditating on the promises of God's word. Here's some good ones to get you started. Let me tell you some of the promises that scripture gives to us. Tons of them to stand on. That we're more valuable than birds and flowers. That I have a father who cares for me. When I worry because I feel like I'm all alone. Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. When I worry because I feel like I'm not good enough to do it, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my grace is sufficient for you. When I worry because I don't think I can make it through another day, Lamentations 3.23 says his mercies are new every morning. When I worry because I'm afraid of the future, Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When I worry because I feel God has forgotten me, Psalm 27.10 says, Though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will take me in. When I worry because I don't think that God could forgive that one sin, Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I worry because of my past and my old life and I feel I can't be loved. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. When I worry because people oppose me for living for Christ, Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, then who can be against us? When I worry that I will fail and disappoint God, Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And the promise of promises in Romans 8.32, If God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us graciously, will he not also along with him Give us all good things. We only need to look to the cross to know how committed God is to us, to know how committed our father is to us, to know that he's a good, good father, that he loves us with every ounce of his being and every fiber within the Godhead loves us. He's strong enough. He's good enough. He's powerful enough. He's loving enough. He's caring enough. We have a father in heaven who loves us 
with an everlasting love. So we don't need to worry. Several years ago, in the 90s, a story made the news. In the 90s, there was a construction crew. It's not a famous story. You wouldn't have heard of it. But a construction crew was building a new road through this uh, kind of rural area, and they needed to cut down some trees. And the foreman of the project looked up into this one tree, and he saw that there was a nest, and he climbed up there, and he saw that there were birds who were too young to be able to fly out of there. And he said, we can't cut this one tree down. So he marked it, knocked down the other trees, but don't knock this one down. Came back a few weeks later. A tree was still there, and he climbed up into it. He looked into it, and he realized that the birds had left. They'd gotten big and strong enough to fly away, and so they did. And so he ordered the, the crew to knock down that, that, that tree. And as the tree fell, the nest fell out of it, and it bounced around. The nest fell apart realized that amongst the twigs and the branches that the birds had used some paper from a children's Sunday school lesson in order to create that nest. As he picked it up to throw it away, he looked at it, and the one thing that he, his eyes fastened upon were these words that says, He cares for you. The Father in heaven who cares for the birds of the air his creation cares infinitely more for you, his children. He did not send his son to die for the birds and the grass. But he sent his son to die for you and for me so that we don't need to worry, so that we can live in freedom, so that we can live out his commands. Do not worry. You've got a father in heaven. Let's pray. Brothers and sisters, what are you worrying about this morning? We take a moment to pray to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Because if I have lived a life of worry, then in many ways I have lived denying the existence of God. If I, who am a child of God, constantly fret and worry about, then I've forgotten that I have a Father in heaven who loves me and cares for me. Or would you have mercy, cleanse me, wash me, so that I might be able to come to you and stand worry-free before you. I have a Father who calls me his own. Never leave me matter where I go. Help me to know these promises. Help me to trust these promises. And help me to fully surrender to these promises. Father, help me. Let's confess our worry. And then secondly, let's confess the things that we worry about, laying these at the foot of Jesus. Let's pray to the Lord, would you give me strength? Give me your promises that I might meditate and turn those over and over in my mind that this week beginning today, instead of building a worry man, I will build a promise man in my heart. I can stand fully free, peace-filled, stress-free, confident in you, 
as a beloved daughter, as a beloved son of the Most High God who loves me, who cares for me. Let's pray together for a couple moments. Let's break free, my friends, from worry. It's an epidemic that is taking so many lives. Jesus says it doesn't have to be. Let's begin today. Let's begin a new chapter in life. No longer living in worry, but living in the freedom, the freedom that the birds have, the freedom that the lilies of the grass have. Let's live in that glorious freedom that's been promised to us. Let's pray together for a few moments. We'll continue. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray.